0: Beyond
1: Bonvenue.
0: Bon <laughs> Oh, is that how you say it? I don't know. Okay.
1: I'm not good at French. Cool. But anyway,
0: it's pronounced Leviosa. <laughs> Welcome to Chronically Narnia, I'm your co-host, a person of the toadstools, aka Chris, and this is my other co-host, my co-co-host.
1: You are, you can just say that you're a host and then introduce your co-host.
0: Who are you though? You
1: always introduce yourself as co-host.
0: Yes, but who are you?
1: <laughs> I'm a nervous leopard. Also known as Kristen.
0: Ooh, you are a nervous leopard. Anyway. Fun fact,
1: leopard is a word that as a child, I could not, I could not read. When I saw it in writing, I always said leopard. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, fun fact here.
0: Can we start calling them that from now on? No, (laughs)
1: but I would, I would see Leo in there and I would say it's a leopard Is that some kind of lion because of Leo the lion in the stars?
0: I'm pretty sure there were some Leopards in Tiger King.
1: There might have been some (laughs) Leopards in Tiger King. Topical references. We'll save that for the... (laughs) For the Patreon. Uh Anyway, this
0: is a podcast where we don't talk about Tiger King uh, mostly. We do talk about the Chronicles of Narnia. Right now we are reading through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We are almost done. It's felt like a really long book. It's not... But it's felt like it's gone on forever. Yep. Uh, we're we... on
1: chapter thirteen and last week we actually uh we actually broke Chris a little bit because he thought there was only fifteen chapters. I thought
0: we were so close. And he
1: was like, There's only three more episodes, but really there's seventeen chapters. Yep. So there's five more episodes, four after today. But yeah, Ooh. we we kind of disappointed you, didn't we? it's it's you know the reality of the book just kind of crushed your
0: i mean i just want to get into a new book that i have not read before okay so anyway so let's go ahead and start off Uh, we're talking about chapter 13 deep magic from the dawn of time which is a really great chapter title it's way too cool for what actually happens in this chapter we'll get to that though First, why don't we start by talking about our summaries? We start off by reading a five-sentence summary that we go through the chapter. We pick out five sentences that, you know...
1: We think can we can force into a paragraph that tells the whole story of the chapter.
0: Sure. So we'll um, go ahead and do that to start us off.
1: I'm going to start. Cool. All right. This is my five-sentence summary of chapter 13, Deep Magic from the Dawn of Time. Then he took Edmund's hair and pulled his head back so that he had to raise his chin. Presently, the centaurs and unicorns and deer and birds that were, of course, the rescue party which Aslan had sent in the last chapter, all set off to go back to the stone table, carrying Edmund with them. The only two people present who seemed to be quite at their ease were Aslan and the witch herself. He knows that unless I have blood, as the law says, all Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. She has renounced the claim on your brother's blood.
0: Ah, I am surprised that we didn't pick a single sentence in common with that
1: Me one. too. I expected you to do the presently the centaurs and unicorns and deer and birds
0: sentence. I did not. Uh did not. I did a similar sentence. I don't know what that means. Whatever. Anyway, how about going... you
1: just give us your summary and me... we'll know for sure how similar your sentences are. Fine. We'll let the <laughs> audience be the judges of that.
0: Can you tell the quarantine is getting to us? <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been a few weeks. Anyway, here's my sentences. Yet it might be better, said the dwarf, to keep this one, here he kicked Edmund, for bargaining with. At that very moment, he heard loud shouts from every direction, a drumming of hoofs and a beating of wings, a scream from the witch, confusion all around him. Edmund shook hands with each of the others and said to each of them in turn, I'm sorry, and everyone said, that's all right. A few minutes later, the witch herself walked on out to the top of the hill and came straight across and stood before Aslam. Fall back, all of you said Aslan, and I will talk to the witch alone.
1: I really think that you did a much better job with with yours, but then you mm. didn't actually get to the whole deep magic or the actual claim of the witch on blood, that mm. there's a traitor among you. Yeah. Like you didn't get to that it stuff. Was,
0: it was hard because I couldn't find a single sentence or two sentences that I thought really conveyed that idea well. Uh, because a lot of the sentences are short and kind of flow into each other and don't. There's no single. Yeah, it was like, a long... really
1: frustrating one to try to pick sentences yeah. for because yeah, all of the dialogue is broken up into one to four word sentences, things like that. Yeah. Yes.
0: So, yeah, not a lot of heavy exposition lines. Uh, so anyway, what do you what do you got to talk about in this chapter? I have a few things. I have a lot of like minutiae and like really anal stuff to talk about um, that I had to pick apart because really. I mean, there's some stuff that goes on, but like, I don't feel like there's a lot of narrative weight here, but what do you got? Start us out.
1: Well, um, first, first things first, I was wrong. You were right in the last episode when you said that the wolf that Peter killed was Magrim and I said, nah, ain't Magrim. How is confirmed in this chapter, was Mogrim. You were right, um. Which makes it even more <laughs> dumb.
0: How that battle went down?
1: Yes, because like, Mogram is the chief of the secret police. He's not supposed to jump on an 11-year-old's sword. Or however yeah. old we've decided Peter is. Like a 16-year-old's sword. It's just really, 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 <laughs> really death for Mawgrim who is
0: it very much is
1: like an imposing character because we meet Mogram as this letter of notice mm-hmm. on the busted down door of Tumnus' house and this is how Mawgrim is introduced as a concept and it's like so a wolf got killed by Peter Wolfsbane mm-hmm. and then in the next chapter we find out oh yeah that was Mawgrim yes so like he it's it's it is the it is the next closest thing to an off camera <laughs> death, like uh-huh. it's like oh yeah someone died, oh yeah it was that that totally like yeah. scary figure that everyone had this ominous fear, and so yeah that really upset me. Uh,
0: he we, gets a, he gets like an entire paragraph of screen time in this entire book. It's kind of sad.
1: Yeah, because he's built up as this like figure who's. This chief of secret, anyway, whatever. Um, Beating a dead horse now. Sorry, a dead wolf. Uh, But then we have, uh, basically, as the narrator says, we're coming back to Edmund's story here. And we have the witch and the dwarf and Edmund stopping for the night. And Edmund is so tired that he doesn't even realize how hungry he is. And, um, we have the witch and the dwarf discussing, um, killing him, but, um, yeah, no, I have another thing that I really wanted to dig into, but it's chronologically a little later in the chapter. So let's, if you have anything to say about these discussions of killing Edmund, finally, since (laughs) we've known since Edmund first got there that the witch should have just killed him already, we actually have, like... A section that's kind of discussing why they haven't killed him yet, maybe, a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Because the witch really wanted this to be done in its proper place at the stone table. Yeah. So, tell us more about that. Um, Explain to to us why we shouldn't be so upset that the witch hasn't (laughs) just killed Edmund yet.
0: Oh, we should be, because she should have. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, even though Malgrim's this imposing figure... He's probably never actually come up against anybody with a sword before, so I mean, yeah. didn't really have a lot of sword experience. Might, um,
1: might be valid, whatever.
0: So there you go, and that's why that's why Father Christmas gave it to him because he's just like, <laughs> that's what. Malgrim's never seen one. Yeah, of these Yeah, he ain't gonna know what's coming. If only Peter had brought like a shotgun, would have been over faster. Um, anyway, that's in my rewrite of this book that I'm working on. So the first thing that I wanted to point out, uh, other than you know, Edmund walks further than he knew anybody could walk, uh, you know, which just makes me think of walking across Mordor. Uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I can't read this book and not think of Lord of the Rings because I'm not original. Um, anyway, so what I wanted to point out first was on the, the second page of my chapter, which I and what I think is interesting where we have the dwarf who is the lackey of the witch who never gets a name. As, mm-hmm. as far as I know, he is an, just an unnamed dwarf, which I think is lame. Uh, but dwarf, whatever he's mentioned here, not capitalized. He is a lowercase d dwarf.
1: Yes, but even like the wolf that comes yes. back is capitalized. But the
0: wolf, random wolf that comes back, talks to the witch, W is capitalized. Yep. Do we? Th- I think it's the same
1: kind of concept as Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and he Beaver and she Beaver, mm-hmm. where like all of these talking beasts don't have names, and so their their title is their species and their race, which is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina Hel- will have all kinds to say about that. But then we also have
0: hello white she human.
1: Yep, <laughs> I'm a white she human. <laughs> Um, Uh, but then as I was saying, um, characters who have like names would be dwarves and all of these human like creatures that are, you know, some of the more evil or whatever, Uh because centaur, like in my sentence with centaurs and, um, deer and unicorns, those are all lowercase in their plural forms. All of them were lowercase. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So I just thought that maybe there was something there to yeah. To tease I don't understand
1: out. the capitalization <laughs> at all. Like
0: like stone table is capitalized. It's yes, a, it's a proper place.
1: Yeah, uh, and witch is capitalized.
0: Apparently, a title.
1: Queen. Yeah, yeah, like all
0: that stuff. But dwarf. Yeah, he's he gets the sword into the stick. <laughs> he's a dwarf. You get it? Yeah, I get it's it. A... <laughs> um. Anyway, that's 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 what I had to mention on that page. Uh, we have this scene where the witch finds out that Aslan has an army and she's like, alright, call everybody. We getting everybody in. And we have all hang sorts
1: Hang on, of- hang on, hang
0: on. Go, go on.
1: Okay, so the wolf has shown up. Yes. Told her that Aslan is at the stone table with an R. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I thought you had skipped well ahead. And I was like, (laughs) what just happened? No. Okay, 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 okay.
0: And then she's like, call everybody in. We're going to get centaurs and minotaurs, uh, ghouls. In my book, all of these are capitalized, by the way.
1: Yes, they're all uh, capitalized in mind, too, including people of the toadstools or however it was that you introduced But not yourself.
0: giants and werewolves and spirits of those trees who are on our sides. That's all lowercase. But then we get to ghouls, bogles, ogres, minotaurs, all uppercase. I don't know what the rules are here.
1: Yeah, me either. Uh,
0: don't really understand. I, I will jump in here because I had a research minute. There, There is a couple of monsters here which I was not terribly familiar with, so I looked into them.
1: All right, tell us.
0: Uh, bogles... Uh, comes from a lot of places it's real old the the wikipedia says that it comes from the scots uh and it does kind of refer to celtic legends where it could be ghosts folkloric spirits uh also refers to like giants of like the norse variety and like the jotun uh and basically all sorts of things the only thing they really have in common in legends is that bogles are not necessarily malevolent spirits They are entities that uh, like to make the lives of humans, like, more interesting and difficult by playing tricks on them. So they're trickster spirits. They're tricksters. They're not outright harmful or good.
1: Okay. Well, and then, like, we have the first creatures that come to Edmund's rescue that are listed are centaurs, lowercase. But the first creatures she calls upon are centaurs, uppercase. Yeah. So, yeah, I just... I don't even know.
0: And then we also have The Cruels. Just okay. The Cruels.
1: Yeah, tell me what The Cruels uh,
0: are. Something Lewis made up. Okay. This is not a thing that exists outside of this book. Uh,
1: you say that and Steve's gonna send you a documentary <laughs> about Cruels.
0: They they never ever get mentioned uh, except right here. Uh, People of the Toadstool, Toadstools. Again, not a thing outside this book. Uh, this... Though the consensus seems to be that these are not people who live among toadstools. These are actual toadstools. Toad? Toad? Gah! These are actual toadstool people, is what I was trying to say. Is that they are...
1: (laughs) They're not little fairies. They're They're walking toadstools. They are
0: walking ambulatory mushrooms. I can say the word ambulatory, but toadstool, that is beyond my capabilities (laughs) as an orator. Anyway. Orator. So we... So we call upon all these people. And I wanted to stop here and just say, why do all these things exist in Narnia? Yeah. Like, why do we have specters and hags and ogres and ghouls and bogles? And, like, wh- where did all these things come from?
1: Yeah, because in, you know, the magician's <laughs> nephew, Aslan certainly wasn't singing mm. cruels out of the toadstool river.
0: Yeah. So, like, you know, we we, we know from... I mean, I think we know from, from previous experience, the witch doesn't really have the power to create things or create Just life don't. or whatever. And so I don't know where all these critters are coming from. Yep, don't know. Uh, somewhere, who knows, whatever. Um, And then we're going to kill Edmund. Yep. We're going to tie gonna a tree. We're going to summon and... up an
1: army and we are going to kill Edmund. But there's a conversation between the witch and the dwarf that is basically like, Should we keep him for bargaining? No, we should kill him. I wish we could kill him at the stone table where it's right and proper. There is a place for this. And so this suddenly has cast the stone table into this very different light. Mm -hmm. Because a table is a place where you gather for a meal. A table is a place where you sit down to negotiate. And so at this point, the stone table has just been this meeting place with Aslan.
0: Mm. It has
1: almost come to represent this kind of community safety meal place home
0: mm-hmm. where
1: they're going to find Aslan. Yeah. But then we've got the witch talking about it as basically an altar of sacrifice. It is the place where you kill things.
0: And the deep magic is ingrained, engraved upon it. Yes. And and which...
1: Which says completely taken something that's been established in the book yeah. as an existing thing Yeah, with one tone surrounding it and being like, Nope, we're going to completely flip that on its head, and now we're going to change the tone entirely. The stone table is a place of sacrifice, death, and bloodshed.
0: So, at this point, are we going to say that maybe Jim Butcher took some inspiration from this book?
1: Oh yeah, no, and, I, and, I mean, like the concept kind of... <laughs> of the stone table as a sacrificial altar. Yeah,
0: that's that's an exists. older concept. Yeah. yeah,
1: well outside of Narnia and Jim Butcher's <laughs> Dresden Files universe, and all of these different places, like
0: yeah,
1: it is very much. A concept, especially within like Celtic lore and, you know, like actual traditional Jewish culture of the sacrificial altar. And, you know, you can take this way back where stone edifices are very much ingrained into religion, culture, mythology, all of these different things.
0: Yeah. Uh, So that's a thing. And so we're gonna cut we're gonna cut Edmund's throat, like no ceremony or anything, just tie him to a tree, kill him, prophecy can't be fulfilled, hey. Yeah,
1: we dragged we've solved him everything. along for the entire <laughs> day. And it's not until nightfall that we decide they must have beat us to the stone table, so we should just kill him here and now.
0: Which I find interesting is like the witch is portrayed as this very powerful sorceress and magic user and can turn people to stone and whatnot. And this is an interesting method of execution for her, I think, where she's like, oh, tie him to a tree, cut his throat. Like,
1: So apparently there is some kind of structure, um, ritual to this killing, mm. and it means something to her to be able to do it in a certain way, in a certain place.
0: Yeah, uh, which we'll get there. I, I feel like this chapter just introduces a lot of plot holes when read in conjunction with the magician's nephew. Like yes, so... <laughs> there
1: is so much I have to say about that. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, um, we'll get there. Um, but we have Edmund rescued. We have a freaking army of centaurs show up. Uh, we have you know, I don't know what all shows up, but Unicorns, there's wings, there's birds,
1: birds and centaurs.
0: Uh, yeah, out of nowhere, which apparently like none of the wolves or the witch heard coming. They were just. Well, there I mean suddenly. they were
1: they were following the wolf back, so clearly yeah. they were being sneaky. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Deus Ex Machina, they show up <laughs> right as she is in, done sharpening the knife and raising it up to stab Edmund in the throat. Mm-hmm. Um and we have this moment of just confusion where they're like, We've got him, drink this here, cu- like rest now, we're gonna take you back. Did you see the witch? Where did the witch go? How do you wine. mean that she lo- We lost her. Like what? Do you ha- how am I supposed to keep track of everything? And so we have just like the witch has escaped, disappeared. They've but, lost track of her.
0: Which I mean does make sense. Like it's in the middle of the night. It's the woods. There's at, at least dozens of animals, if not hundreds, showing up in this army to confront her. Like it's chaos. And she happens to be able to hide herself, which I completely believe.
1: She took off her coat, and she is reflective white in the dark. She's the only thing that that Edmund could see Uh in how dark it was in the valley. She's the only thing that he could see because she is so white. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, that doesn't make sense for birds to have lost sight of her. Now, with that said... We get to my next really, really annoying part that I just wrote, like, an angry, this is dumb in my note. The shape-changing description, where it's like, yeah, if they had stayed and watched this, they would have seen a, you know, you would have seen a very strange thing. And it's this narrator who's saying, like, yeah, you would have seen this. He can't just be like... (laughs) Like this is he, what happened. Yeah, you but... can't just be like, here's what happened. They tur- She she used her magic to turn themselves into something that wasn't expected. And so everybody walked away from her after one of them tripped over <laughs> the dwarf. But like, golly gee, like just the way that he describes it feels so forced and removed from the narrative and the structure and everything that was like, you know... Just cool about this little escape plan. We're just like, oh, if you had been watching, you would have, if you'd stayed and waited and watched, you would have seen uh, the dwarf suddenly, slowly not be a, you know, the stump slowly not be a stump anymore and look like a short, fat man. <laughs> and like, the boulder would have walked over to him. Like,
0: now I'm going to cut in here and just say that if anybody. From my old D and D group is listening. I in no way, <laughs> I in no way, just took inspiration from this book from my rock wizard. This is not what happened. I'm not plagiarizing. That was an original concept.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh. Your your pun rock <sighs> rock wizard. Yeah. You have no <laughs> concrete evidence that I was ever here. Yeah.
0: Since I know none of them actually listen to this, uh, Joe, if you're listening, turn this off for 30 seconds. Uh, I can go ahead and say that he is absolutely going to make an appearance in this game that I'm running now if if we ever start it again. I have a plan for him to show up, and it's going to be great.
1: You know <laughs> it- <laughs> that Joe will only remember it because of this. Uh-huh. Like, Nat will, it will take Nat so long to remember it. Anyway.
0: Anyway, welcome back, Joe. So, um... They're both disguised, they skip everything, and then they come up with a plan. But she loses her knife. Oh well. Still has her wand, which apparently she needs the wand to turn people to stone. Like...
1: Yeah, I, don't, I mean, because Athlan demands that she leave the yeah. wand. And I think that that's part of her growing magic. Because, like, that's... I, I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't <laughs> even know. Because, like, in Charn. Jadis could just speak, speak a, word. a word and kill everybody on the planet. So I don't even know, dude. Like, because we established that her magic here was all messed up anyway. Yeah. That she couldn't really do her magic. Um, Like, her, her magic wasn't functioning on Earth, so it kind of operates differently. So clearly this is an element of the way that she's learned to do magic. And Narnia is having to use this wand.
0: Yeah. Which uh,
1: would not matter <laughs> if we had not read The Magician's Nephew first.
0: Yep. We just coming up with all sorts of questions. It's an I mean, interesting order.
1: Let's get into all of the incongruencies. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Let's let's talk about Edward's redemption first, because we have Edward's redemption before. Edward? Who's Edward? Uh Edmund. I thought I was reading Twilight for a second. Uh talk about Edmund's redemption for a second. So this is a this is all really awkward. So he comes back. The kids find out that he's back in the middle of the night. They weren't awoken. They don't of this. find out yeah. until the morning. Yeah, the, nobody was like, "Hey, we're we're going off on a rescue party." We're no, gonna get Aslan your back. sent
1: them on the rescue. Yeah. sent them all to follow the wolf in the moment of the conflict.
0: Yeah, and so
1: they all knew that they were sent to follow the wolf.
0: And then, I mean, the kids weren't allowed to join. They just kind of stayed behind. They slept in the tent.
1: They had um, been walking all day.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a point. Um, anyway, they bring Susan back.
1: passed out in the tree.
0: Anyway, they bring Edmund back. Edmund has this conversation Your
1: with... Your issues with this <laughs> whole situation are completely based in your own attitude and not in anything that's actually consistent with the chapter.
0: I guess so. Um, Edmund has this conversation with Aslan, which is secret, and he, you know, Lewis does one of those other annoying things where he does a weird fourth it's wall. He's
1: like, nobody will ever know what no. was said, but Edmund will never forget.
0: No one, no one ever heard it. Uh, anyway... <laughs>
1: it's trying so hard to be like deep
0: reminds me one of my favorite jokes that i well we won't have time to for me to tell on the podcast i'll tell it at the end you can do it as a blooper if you really want to um anyway so they have this secret conversation aslan trying to greet them and it's just like hey here's your brother don't talk about what happened
1: there's no need
0: nope that's not a part of the healing process do you nope forget nope don't don't
1: Happened. yep let's move on yep. forgive forget yep no processing
0: <laughs> don't process no
1: mature responsible handling of emotions <laughs> feelings you know trust mm-hmm. um no he's just he is your brother and you trust him now
0: yep that's and it it's
1: you have <laughs> no reason whatsoever to say anything except it's okay
0: yep which I think is dumb. Uh, and there's...
1: it's, like, even even C.S. Lewis comments on how awkward it is. <laughs> that they're just not allowed to say anything. They're just like, it's okay. And then none of them can think of anything to say.
0: Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm all right. Like, no, I'm sorry. And then everyone said, that's all right. And I included that sentence because it uh, exemplifies the redemption story and what happens here. Because it's but, uh, the
1: only thing that's redemptive.
0: But the whole thing is really weirdly wooden and robotic. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Edmund goes and says, I'm sorry. They all say, it's all right, and shake his hand, and then we move on. It's just, it's a weird. Yeah. There's no emotion here. There's no character development. It's just like, we need to get through this plot point so we can talk about the witch. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I, I dislike this entire scene.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> I absolutely concur. Mm-hmm. And so then we have the messenger of the witch showing up and asking for safe conduct for the witch because she wants to come and talk to Aslan. He makes her uh, leave her wand at a tree and um, she comes and comes before Aslan and challenges him on his knowledge of the deep magic and and he does, you know, that narrator's tool for exposition And says, oh, do I know the deep magic? Do you know the deep magic? Why don't you tell me what the deep magic says about traitors?
0: Uh Because
1: she says, you have a traitor in your midst. His blood
0: belongs to me. So this is one of those moments. I want to jump in here. There's a lot we can say here. I want to jump in and say that I do really think uh, the movie for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as Okay, as it was, like it's not a good movie. Shut up. Um. Anyway, really did knock it out of the park with with this particular scene because they add a line that is not in the book, where you know aslan's just like don't cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. which yes. I'm gonna go PG thirteen here. That's a badass line, uh, which is not in this book and it should have been. However, there is another line in this chapter which is not in the movie, which I think is equally equally as cool. Yeah. Tell us, uh, which you know the witch is saying. Tell you, tell you what is written on the table of stone, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and says, tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the emperor beyond the sea, which is basically being like, do you want me to tell you what's written on the scepter of God? And like, mm-hmm. that's a really cool line. That is. Cool line. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 very evocative. Yes, um, that
1: was really really cool. <laughs> um, everything about where she's talking about, like. Should I tell you what's written on the state well, on the table what's yeah, all of that was really cool.
0: She gets a cool moment, um, But yeah,
1: no, I definitely agree with you that the the way that it's phrased in 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 the movie, uh-huh, and having Liam Neeson's voice just being like, "Don't you dare cite the deep magic, yeah, that was an mm-hmm. intense and really cool line
0: uh i r- r- aside for a research moment, I looked into. If there's any kind of lore on the Firestones of the Secret Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. No? Okay. And and that's the disappointing thing about these books is a lot of things are mentioned as background world information that never get mentioned again, and there's no more anything about them ever. Yeah. Which is, like, going further down this rabbit trail. This is something, like, as as a lifelong Star Wars fan, I've always appreciated because, like, despite how ridiculously convoluted Star Wars got uh, back when the extended universe was actually a canon thing, there was such a rich lore to it. And, like, people stepped in and filled these things out. And if some random thing gets mentioned in the movies or a book somewhere, there's 20 pages of backstory about it. And yeah. any anything that sounds cool, you can go look it up on Wikipedia and you will find more information. And there is a story there. And that's something that I always thought was neat and made it a very fleshed out universe. Anyway, so no information for sorry, can can do my can I finish yeah. my research. No information uh further about what the Firestones and the Secret Hill are. However, this was a line that did not exist in the books until nineteen ninety four, with the re-release of the books in uh America. Before that, in the original texts, this line uh referred to the roots of the world ash tree.
1: Really? Why well, did that change?
0: Because that was another thing where uh I had mentioned this the first time we saw Magrim's name. Yeah. Where originally he oh, okay. was a uh, Fenrir or something and yeah. this was, was changing the yeah, changing the tone of the books from more Norse uh mythology inspired to not Norse mythology inspired. And so this was another thing that referenced Norse mythology that got changed to
1: Interesting. So that originally else. in the original printing said Uh, The roots of the world ash tree. Yes. Interesting. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah. So um, along with all of this kind of mythology that we're establishing exists in Narnia, but doesn't actually have any filled out backstory. Yeah. We also have this moment where um, the witch says, um, you at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery, I have a right to a kill. Oh, said Mr. Beaver, so that's how you came to imagine yourself a queen, because you were the emperor's hangman, I see. And this is a moment I expected you to jump right to oh, yeah. because it's Mr. Beaver being the character that you love Mr. <sighs> Beaver being.
0: Yeah, he, he's sassy in this chapter.
1: Yes, and Aslan's <laughs> just like, peace, Beaver. But, um, <laughs> peace. Um, but, like, we have this whole concept of the Emperor, the Great Emperor, establishing that she has a right to traitors. And establishing that they are her prey and essentially making her his hangman as the as the beaver puts it. None of which is consistent in any way <laughs> with anything that's established in um the Magician's, the Magician's nephew, where we talk about the founding of Narnia and the way that the queen appeared here. Yeah. Like this is very much. Um, presenting more of an image of some kind of reckoning angel as falling and becoming this twisted creature that is the witch, as opposed to someone who came here and brought a dark evil with them because of their own nature, Uh
0: um,
1: which it's all retconned to be when later the magician's nephew is written. So it's it's completely inconsistent both ways because in this book, as it's established, like if you read this book first, there is this kind of theology in Narnia set up to establish that the witch has a right to traitors because she works for the emperor as his hangman. yeah, And she has perverted that role into what she has taken on as being queen and ruler yeah, and establishing herself to be... Some kind of great, powerful figure that can subdue Narnia, and that this has to be addressed with Aslan's return. Um. But it's I I, I really I to be to be honest I really like the theology of Narnia as presented here. I prefer this to what was established in the magician's nephew because you and I had all of these theology discussions that I avoided and you tried to start.
0: You're starting a theology discussion.
1: Talking about this kind of inevitability of evil and things like that and Uh how like evil entered into Narnia. Yeah. But this presents the evil in Narnia very much in the same way of like the Lucifer fall. Yeah. As this kind of servant of the emperor yeah. Than wanting the power for themselves,
0: which I'm surprised you like it better because this theology is very much closer to like traditional Christian theology, where you have Lucifer as the accuser, and that's very much directly analogous to what the witch is doing here. She's the accuser. She's the yeah the one who you know calls out the those who have turned away from Aslan and the emperor. which is which like, is
1: very different from the way that a lot of people actually are taught. Uh-huh. That they're very much taught that evil is this thing that snuck into the world in the way that the magician's nephew presents it. And uh-huh. it's like, oh, well, it's here now. So everything is tainted. We have to establish a deep magic in this tree in order to protect anyone. Yeah. And so I don't know. I just, I, I do like this idea of Jadis, the witch, Lucifer, the accuser kind of concept for a story mm-hmm. it's 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 making jadis a richer character mm-hmm. than this evil character who snuck into narnia and ate an apple from a tree that she climbed the wall of the fence around you know like yeah in order to gain magic abilities yeah she's the tempter in that one as opposed to the accuser in this one and i like this this development of her character better
0: Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. Uh, Still, plot holes you could drive a truck through. Like, this is, like, massive retconning. We've completely changed.
1: Well, I mean, what you're saying is that the magician's nephew is retconning because it was written later. Yes.
0: So, yeah, magician's nephew is completely changing everything that happens here. Uh, The witch's role, where she's at. Like magician's nephew very clearly paints a picture where a witch was very much not included in the planning of the creation of the world she's just an element of chaos that gets dropped in Mm -hmm. and you know you we can argue whether or not that was all a plan of aslan or the emperor all along and she was supposed to be there and that's why diggory finds her and eh, that's all speculation
1: okay calvinist
0: (laughs) please don't call me dirty names um (laughs) don't appreciate that uh, and then we have the witch and Aslan talking, and they have a conversation, uh, that we don't really get to know a lot about. Beaver gets sassy. Mr. Beaver gets sassy. Yeah. He's just, like, there on the sidelines being like, hey, yeah. Uh, he is very much, like, the Greek chorus in this chapter. Yes, And I, I, I want him to just be a background character in every other chapter of this entire series. Just, like, in the background somewhere shouting out things.
1: See, I feel like what we get later, like, when we get introduced to Reaper Cheap, he is the extension of that role.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Reaper
1: is very much just, like, the sassy background character. I mean, he's a main character. He's a Mm -hmm. primary character. How dare I call him a background (laughs) character? But...
0: Before the angry tweets start rolling in. No,
1: before I get mad at myself. (laughs) I'm like, hey, how dare
0: you? Uh Uh-huh.
1: He's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, uh, so we have Aslan and the witch having a secret conversation.
1: Yep, and we- then Aslan says, Come on back, we've settled it. She has renounced her claim to your brother's blood. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief, and she goes, But how do I know that you will keep this promise? And he just roars at her until she picks up her skirt and runs away.
0: Yeah, which is the only cool thing Aslan does in this entire chapter. Again, I
1: mean, in the book so far, let's yeah, be real I mean clear, in the besides so far. giving valuable feedback on how you should clean your sword.
0: Which I, which I think is really lame, because we have this entire book, well, I'll, I'll get into this more in my chapter review, but we have this entire book talking about how Aslan is this great and powerful character, uh, and, you know, he's going to come and he's going to fix everything. And mm-hmm. then the first two chapters that he's actually in, he doesn't really do anything at all. Yep. Like, he has a he has a one-sided conversation with the witch where he's just like, oh, you tell me what you think. And then goes and has a secret conversation, and then we've solved the problem somehow.
1: Second secret conversation he's had.
0: Yep. He has a secret a...
1: conversation with Edmund. He's
0: a private conversation guy. Yep. Now, since we've we've read the book and we know how the book ends we kind of know it's the next chapter
1: that he's going to die in so like we have him like as an entity present in the book and then when he's finally actually here as a player character he gets two and a half chapters of any kind of opportunity to do anything and he doesn't do anything and then he dies and then he dies I was
0: going to say we don't we don't know in this chapter what this conversation between him and the witch looks like we can assume
1: yep it's him. What happens here? The green,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yay, things happen. He does something heroic and cool. But we don't know that Off yet. Off camera. And so Aslan is just kind of lame. Uh, and then there's the really awkward uh, illustration that we have in both of our books of him Which, yes, walking I, with his hands. I just posted
1: his back. Uh, on Instagram on um, before this goes up, but it's already posted.
0: Cool. So, I mean, that's chapter 13. Anything else you want to add before we go into our. Rewrites?
1: Oh, rewrites? No, I didn't really have anything else to go into uh, prior to rewrites. Um, When we do our rewrites, we do the same thing we do with our summaries, where we go through the chapter and pluck out five sentences out of the context. But instead of trying to communicate the story of the chapter, we're trying to create a new narrative um, and create a new story. So since I went first earlier, Chris, do you want to go ahead and do first rewrite, unless you had any other thoughts or anything that you wanted to kind of touch
0: on? No, I guess not. I'll just jump into my rewrite then. Okay, go ahead. So, here we go. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the Emperor Beyond the Sea? There is no need to tell you, and no one ever heard, what Aslan was saying. But it was a conversation which Edmund never forgot. Then he heard voices of people who were not talking to him, but to one another. Edmund simply sank down and lay on his face, doing nothing at all, and not even caring what was going to happen next, provided they would let him lie still.
1: Okay. So what? What?
0: What happened? <sighs> oh, that was just my I this this chapter is kind of the story of Edmund's redemption and he coming from a place of despair into like being redeemed and et so cetera, et cetera. you just cetera. brought
1: him to despair and left him there?
0: Uh, yeah, no, I just, I, <laughs> my idea was just creating a mystery of, you know, what is this conversation between him and Aslan and kind of reframing that and Aslan telling him something that weighs on him very heavily. Okay. And then that was kind of my, okay, my short little scene there.
1: Gotcha. Anyway. So instead of restoring him, Aslan is defeating him.
0: Tells him some great secret that, you know, whatever. Something oh. about the deep magic. Okay. Yeah, Go on.
1: <clears throat> Work against the Emperor's magic, said Aslan, turning to her with something like a frown on his face. And have him rescued, said the witch scornfully. It'll be all right, whispered Peter in reply. Can't we do something about the deep magic? Presently, the centaurs and unicorns and deer and birds, they were, of course, the rescue party, which Aslan had sent in the last chapter, all set off to go back to the stone table, carrying Edmund with them.
0: Okay. So we both focused on the deep magic here as uh, our core part of the storyline. Well, there were a
1: lot of (laughs) sentences that involved deep magic. Like like you pointed out in your, you know, summary, like we had so many short sentences. Mm Mm-hmm. And the, 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 a lot of those involve the deep magic and things just like being like, is, is it all right? It, you have a traitor among you, you know, like, it, it is very true. <laughs> like, things like that, just like very simple sentences. So, I don't know. I liked the idea of the witch and Aslan working together against the deep magic in order to rescue, uh, like, the emperor or something like that. And yeah. having that be Edmund. So, I don't know. I just kind of liked framing it in that way. That's all. That's what I did. Um, let's go ahead and get into uh, your uh, sentence, uh, your chapter review. Alright.
0: Uh, yeah, this is the last segment where I just go back through the chapter and, you Rate know, it. Be, review it. Be a criticism jerk. Criticism and, and review. Do criticism and review so we don't get sued. Um, and just say, you know, did it accomplish what it set out to do? Uh, and we always use a one to five point system where the points are always something different. What are we doing this time, Kristen?
1: And the points don't they matter. They really don't
0: matter. But what are we doing?
1: The rules are made up and the points don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, firestones.
0: One to five firestones. All right. Um, so, yeah. this Roots of
1: the Great Ash
0: Tree. This... This chapter, like, I can't say it's one of those nothing chapters where nothing happens because we have Edmund rescued, we have Edmund redeemed, we have, you know, this parlay between the witch and Aslan, we have stuff about the deep magic come out, and we get into more narrative depth.
1: So much stuff.
0: Stuff, stuff. Uh, And at the same time, like I said earlier, like, there's... If you read The Magician's Nephew first, this, like, completely... Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Introduces a bunch of plot holes. Like, the whole... Redemption of Edmund, uh, the way it's described is dumb. It doesn't work. It's written terribly. I'm going to go out and say it. It's not a good scene. And it's it's supposed to be like the climactic, heartfelt, touching you know, moment uh, for this family in the book. And it just doesn't come off that way. And I feel like that and... No, like the... the
1: climactic moment for this no. family is when they all get crowned at Care Parabelle. Yeah, sure. But um, this could have been that moment.
0: This could have been... And yeah like those those things just really drag this down for me uh so despite it doing some cool things I'm gonna go ahead and say two and a half firestones let's say 2.5 well,
1: I think that might be your lowest rating it, yet.
0: one of my lowest ones like it, it's it's bad chapter as a, as a whole so there we go. I, what are you gonna what are you gonna get with I don't
1: know I just as an individual unit I feel like what this chapter does for Narnia lore wise independent of what it incongruent sees <laughs> with the magician's nephew- mm-hmm. like I think that this has built a lore and a structure and like a mythos of Narnia that I actually like a lot better than I've really ever envisioned the mythos of Narnia to be mm-hmm so I find it very much to be something that I uh, am appreciative of. Um, so with that said, I, I actually like this chapter a lot, because, but only in the context that it is its own unit. Like if we're looking at this within the context of the series as a whole and the inconsistencies that it brings up with the later written, previously reviewed book, The Magician's Nephew, then i i can't i can't say great things about it because it's just that that scene alone where the narrator is just like and you would have seen the rock walk like that alone just disappointed me sincerely and then what you said about the kids redemptive moment where it's like hey we're rejoining this family nope <laughs> so yeah no i can't say great things about this chapter as like from a actual like, what do you like? The actual mechanics of this chapter don't live up.
0: The bones.
1: But what it does for world building, I think is cool. So Agree. yeah, that's my thoughts.
0: Okay. So then uh,
1: we have <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, those that's that's my thoughts pretty much. Stop staring at me like I did something wrong. You didn't. Um, and then we have um this uh you know. Typical, like, hey, plug in the social media's time. I think, unless there's anything else you have to say. No,
0: that's about it. Cool, Go cool, on. cool.
1: Uh, this has been Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which we discuss the chronicles of Narnia.
0: Pin chain restaurants. <laughs>
1: We uh, are on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Podcast, and we are on Twitter at Chronically Pod, sometimes. And then we uh, also have an email, chronicallypodcast at gmail.com, um, and all of those are places where you can share with us your fan images of, um you know, the gonna... witch as a walking rock, um, or... I
0: was going to say what a cruel looks like.
1: What a cruel looks like. You could also do that. Uh-huh. Um, we look forward to those. If you want to share your own um, summary or rewrite of the chapter, please do so. Hashtag Narnia Chopped and Screwed.
0: Didn't we get a tweet that we were supposed to read?
1: Yes, we did. We got a tweet on Twitter uh, from at NStriker. Shush. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Uh-huh. All right. And um Nathan would like to hear Chris's impression of Kristen's animal impressions imper- impersonations.
0: Okay, um the only one I'm really good at is Kristen's impersonation of an elephant, which we should post a video of on the Instagram, but it goes kind of like this.
1: <laughs> That's not even. Best. <laughs>
0: Why do you go ahead and show me up, Cresson? What do you got?
1: No, we're gonna okay. um, and so without further ado, don't lock yourself in any wardrobes and
0: Don't forget to clean your sword.
1: Cheers. Hello, welcome to Chronically Narnia, our podcast in which I can't talk. Hello, welcome to Chronically Narnia. Uh, this is a podcast.
0: A podcast?
1: Yep. <laughs> Not Leviosa. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: It's Leviosa.
0: Anyway. And this is my other co-host, my co-co-host.
1: But then we also have...
0: Hello, white she-human.
1: Yep. <laughs> I'm a white she-human. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but dwarf, yeah, he's, he gets the sword into the stick. <laughs> he's a dwarf. You get it? Yeah, I get it's it. <laughs> <laughs> These are actual toads, too. Toad? Toad? Gah! These are actual toadstool people, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> I can say the word ambulatory, but toadstool, that is beyond my capabilities as an orator. Anyway. Orator. So we. So we call upon all these people.
1: So much stuff.
0: Stuff, stuff. Uh.